Yeah, thanks guys for the privilege to be with you this morning. It's really, it's really cool. But the last time I was here, it didn't quite look like this. So you guys have done an awesome job. It's great. Well, um, I know that you've been in the series, What Jesus Taught, and it was a really simple, easy one that Tim did last week, I hear, on lust and more and a few other things. So, um, so we're flicking out of um, the Sermon on the Mount just for, just for this week, but still in the theme of what Jesus taught. And we're going to another passage that's probably just as challenging, if yeah. we're honest, to get our heads around. Um, and what I'd just like us to think about this morning for a bit is what it means to be an influencer. What it means to be an influencer. So, let's pray. Holy Spirit, my prayer in this moment is the same every time that that you will speak to us freshly, newly. Your word isn't simply something that sits on the pages of a book, but it lives by your spirit in our lives. Lord, do that this morning again for us, as you always do. We pray. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. Because you're our rock and you're our redeemer. Amen. Well, I wonder if you can have a think about the people or the person who has been most significant in influencing your life for good. Just, I don't know if you can picture their face or picture the situation or whatever the story is, where you have someone who's impacted your life profoundly. I remember um, as a young adult coming, not, not long, moved out of home. I came back home, sat in my parents' lounge room, and I don't know why I'd never seen this before, but I saw this in, in their bookcase, this big, long line of books, and they were all parenting books, like how to cope with you or how to cope with your, the strong-willed <laughs> child. All this sort of stuff. It was sort of a moment of clarity for me that my parents had been shaping influence on me much more than you ever really recognise as a child. And not all of us have great experiences, some of us do, with parents and parenting. But that's one of the influences for me, my family. I remember, I remember early in my career in an investment bank, the head of funds management in the bank that I was in, who was a who was a follower of Jesus, and just watching that person, how they operated, how they spoke, what they did, what they didn't do, how they negotiated what it meant to live in that space. Profound influence on life. You've got people that have influenced your life over over the years, I'm sure, and. What I find myself asking in this space is, Lord, how can I have that sort of positive impact on others? Um, what, what is it supposed to look like for me? How do I do that? How do I do that? Well, today we're looking at a passage where Jesus is talking to leaders. And I just want to take that John Maxwell quote that says, leadership is all about influence. Because leader, leadership is not because you have a particular position. Jesus never had a position. He was never a parent. He never led a corporation. He never held a teaching post at a fancy seminary. He was a wandering rabbi who, in his own words, had no place to lay his head. And yet, we still measure our years from the day of his birth, 2,000 years later. There is no one who's had greater impact and influence on our world than Jesus. Well, how? What was it about him? And what, what did he value when it came to how we influence others. Yeah, because the reality is we are all examples in one way or another. It's just what sort of an example 
do we want to be? We are all influencers in one way or another, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your school, whether it's in your university, in your workplace, in your community, in your church, wherever, you are an influencer. And so the only question is, what's the legacy going to be of your influence? What's the legacy going to be? And, and what would it look like for you to potentially profoundly impact people around you? Positive. What does it look like? What would it look like for Jesus? As I said, we're going to a bit of an unexpected passage. If you've got a phone or whatever, a Bible app, you, know, you might want to look up Matthew 23. Uh, we're just going there for a few minutes this morning. Um, the Sermon on the Mount that you've been working at is sort of earlier in Jesus' public ministry. This passage comes seven days before he goes to the cross. It's right at the end of his public ministry. And, and he's uh, in the temple, he's sort of in Jerusalem, the, the, you know, the stakes are getting higher and higher, and, and what's embedded now is this, uh, is this animosity towards him from the Jewish leaders, the, the, the religious people of the day. And we see at the beginning of, and I won't read all the verses, we see at the beginning of chapter 23 that Jesus calls a crowd to him and he says, look, it's really important that you follow what your leaders say, that, that, that if you're looking to connect with God, yes, these are the religious leaders that tell you how to do it, but you need to remember that they don't lift a finger to do what they preach. That, that what they seek to do is to self-aggrandise. And their example is the exact opposite of the kingdom of God. And, as we, and, and then following that from verse 13, and that's where I'm going to spend a few minutes, he, he just goes into this 24 verses of like unadulterated vitriol. <laughs> like he just hammers them uh, as, as he just exposes what it's like uh, for them to abuse their leadership and their influence. And so if we flip that on its head, we're seeing what Jesus values here. So that's where we're going. As I look at verse 13, verse 13 and 14 just hit me really hard. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven on people's faces. And you yourselves do not enter, and you don't let those enter who are trying to. I think, my goodness, my goodness, how do I avoid that? How do I avoid, even unintentionally, putting something in the way of the progress of God's kingdom, putting something in the way of someone's progress towards knowing who Jesus can be for them? How do I avoid that at all costs? And how do I do it Jesus' way? Well, here's two thoughts. Verse 16 to 19. Jesus says, Woe to you, blind guides. He's talking to the Pharisees. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone swears by the gold of the temple, they're bound by the earth. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that earth. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar? that makes the gift sacred. And then verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, till, a gift, dill, here's the dill, and cumin. But you neglect the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy 
and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What's happening here? Jesus is calling out these leaders who are using their influence to shepherd people away from spiritual reality into this sort of works-based living, this sort of works-based religion. They were experts at setting up rules so that they could trivialise spiritual practice and, and to the point where it lost its significance. They had 600 of them. How are you meant to live that? And they had to spell out everything. So they could be clear on who was in and who was out. And so their spirituality and their leadership all becomes about rules and regulations. You know, the reality is sometimes it is easier, I think, to concentrate our attention on the little bits of Christian behaviour because we think, you know, I've got control over that. If I just get my nose clean and keep it clean. (laughs) Jesus calls us to a different way. Mercy, justice and faithfulness. In our family, we have a saying, I have um, a 14-year-old, a 17-year-old and a 20-year-old. And so throughout the parenting journey, uh, one of the lines in our household have been, fair is not always equal. In other words, there are times when treating people with equity doesn't mean you treat them all the same. Um, So if um, my youngest um, carries on that she can't go to bed at the same time as her elder brother, there's a reason for that. Or if I want to uh, gift something to one of my kids because they're in a particular space at that time, and I don't do that for the other kids, that's not necessarily bad because I'm responding to the need in the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking, I'm acting out of grace. Mm-hmm. I remember an interview I listened to on radio with a, a woman who had many more than three children. And um, she was being interviewed by a Christian interviewer, and partway through the interview, uh, the interviewer said to her, sort of almost with tongue in cheek, so, do you have a faith? Hmm. And, of course, expecting her to say, oh. She said, yeah, I do, actually. And, and that guy said, oh, well, who's your favourite? And she said, whichever kid needs me most in that moment. <laughs> whichever kid needs me most. Grace, mercy, justice, faithfulness. And so in our family, sometimes we do set aside the rules. Why? Because we want to model these things. We want to model justice. We want to model truth, faith, thoughts in our parenting. That we, that we raise kids who don't just know how to obey the rules, or even as they grow, how to set the rules, but how to live justice and live mercy and live faithfulness and not replicate what Jesus is talking about here. You know, and as the New Testament unfolds, it brings in the even clearer focus what Jesus is driving at here, I think. I mean, are we going to be people who live under regulation or under grace? Are we going to be people who are going to try and impress God and others with all our rule-keeping? Or will we allow our faith and our behaviour to be shaped by the one whose justice restores and makes right? Will we allow our faith, will we allow our behaviour to be shaped by one whose mercy makes possible this grace-filled reconciliation is at the very centre of what Jesus was on about? Whose faithfulness just beckons us into this lifelong relationship of fierce trust in Him. That's living the kingdom way. And then will we be people who live these things in our relationships with others, amongst the people who we influence? That's true leadership. That's true influence according to Jesus.
You may know of a story in John chapter 8 where the Pharisees, again, earlier in his ministry, dragged before him a woman. And they say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The burning question, of course, is she was half the people who were caught in the act of adultery. Anyway, that's another story. And we know Jesus' response. He said, oh, well, they say, well, um, the law says we must stone such a woman. What do you say? What does Jesus do? He says, well, listen, guys. Whichever of you is without sin, what? Pass the first time. <clears throat> Older ones go first. Younger ones take a bit of time to work it out. Then, yeah. <laughs> then there's just Jesus and the woman in this this moment, which must have been burned in her memory for all of her years after. And Jesus looks her in the eye and says, "What well, woman? Who who is here to condemn you?" She says, "Well, no one." He says, "Well, I don't know. Go and live your life of sin." See, grace is not saying sin doesn't matter. Grace is not saying sin has no consequence. Grace is not saying anything goes. That doesn't teach us anything positive in the long run. Grace calls us forward to live God's way, to influence others God's way. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You want to be a person of influence in your workplace, in your school, wherever it is that God's put you. Jesus says, live grace. Live grace. The second thing that really hits me, and there is only two things, that's okay for those of you who are into the number of points there. Um, The second thing that really hits me here is uh, in verse 25. Let me read those couple of verses to you. Jesus continuing, he's hammering them. He says, Why do you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside it's full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You like whitewashed tombs. So beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they're full of bones and the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. This was uh, Jesus in Jerusalem in the week before Passover, which is one of the main Jewish festivals, and people from all over the nation would pilgrimage in to Jerusalem for this. And, and what they used to do a few weeks before the Passover was to go across the countryside to where there were tombs and, and update, repaint with whitewash so that when people were coming in from the countryside, they didn't accidentally trip over them because if you touched anything that was to do with, with um, dead or burial or anything like that, you were unclean and then they couldn't do their pilgrimage. So it was really important that they whitewashed the tombs. <laughs> and Jesus said, you painted over the front. You painted over the outside going, this is like your life. And you're not, you're not paying the slightest attention to what's inside. Now, can you imagine here how this would infuriate the Pharisees? These are people who've built their lives on doing the right thing. And, and I don't want to completely hammer them either because their hearts were for God. But the way they thought they got there was just screwed up. <laughs> just screwed up. See, Jesus was grabbing their inner lives and, and putting it on display. Um, and they didn't like what that looked like. They didn't like what it looked like at all. It wasn't pretty. 
It's no surprise that his favourite description of them is hypocrites, literally play actors, like you wear a mask. They spent their life wearing masks. You know, we can fool some of the people some of the time, and maybe if we're really good, we can fool most of the people most of the time. But, <laughs> but we can't fool all of the people all of the time. The chickens always come home to roost, always, eventually, in your life and in mine, and in the lives of those who we impact as well. I cannot flee from my inner life. It will find me wherever I am. I don't know whether you can recall back, we've got any, we haven't got any high schoolers here. Do you remember, who remembers the Venn diagram of school? I'm, I'm, some of you are sort of in connections here going back to high school. Perhaps. Okay, Venn diagram. What's the Venn diagram? Two circles. Two, that's it? Yep. Two circles. Two sets of data. Uh, and what you have to work out is how much of that data is common. And so to the extent it's common, what do you do? You overlap the circles. What Jesus is saying is, in our natural capacities, we live with them way over here. Mm. And Pharisees, that's what they're doing. Inner life, outer life. Private life, public life. Separate. Jesus said, no, no, no. No. You've got to bring them together. And keep bringing them together and doing the hard work so that over time, your public life and your private life match. Now that's a lifelong, a lifelong thing. A lifelong quest. And on our own, we don't get anywhere. I mean, just look at what we're seeing around us in the world at the moment, as if we needed any other examples. Public life and private life. And Jesus' call is to live and to influence and to lead it in all the spaces that we have those opportunities to do it with those two circles as fully overlapped by God's grace as we can. It's a lifelong journey. And yet my influence is godly to the extent that it springs from an inner life that aligns with my outer actions. And here's the trick. Most people won't know in the moment how, how close the Venn diagram is. Most people won't know in the moment how overlapping the circles are. But over time it becomes really clear. Right. Always. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live like this. No. I want to live like this. I don't want the people around me who, who are impacted by my life uh, be impacted by this. I want to be impacted by this. And I do this because I live in grace. I live in the kingdom. I live saying this is not what I can do in my own strength. And I live paying attention to the inner and the outer and making sure they're aligned. You want to be a person with real influence, Jesus says, in effect. Learn this. Learn what it means to get beyond doing the tick box stuff so you think you're alright with God. Live justice, live mercy, live faithfulness. You want to influence others? Then learn to bring public pride together. And as you do that, you will powerfully influence and you will example for the kingdom of what, what the values of the kingdom really are. Now, I don't know um, about you, but 
As I think through the places where I live and work and operate, it is a bit scary the way that my life impacts other people. And in a good way, it's scary. And I would venture to say for almost all of us here, you can say the same. Wherever you work, there are people watching. Wherever you play, there are people watching. If God's given you the, the task of parenting, there are little people watching. In community, across the generations, there are people watching. They're watching because they want to see Jesus. And the greatest gift that we can give is to show them who he is for us. If you just um, invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a minute, let's just reflect on this. Can I invite you to just draw your mind in to be present to the reality of those around you you impact? How will you lead in those spaces? How will you influence in those spaces? Will you do it with grace and with integrity? Maybe there's some of us here this morning who are just looking on the edge of a new space of influence or whatever. Maybe, maybe that's you this morning. You know, we've got choices about how we, how we live in that new space. Will you make it one in which the influence that you bring is Jesus' influence and not anything else? With your, with your influence with grace and with your authenticity. Just as a band comes up and starts to connect, or connect in a minute with the, the song they'll take us out, I want to invite you to do business with God at this point. To do business with God in, in the way that you, that you desire to live your life on the outside. Versus on the inside. To, to do business with God and say, God, I don't want you to be telling me about hypocrisy. I don't want you to be pointing those things out because they're there. I want you to point them out and into it, but I want to change. I want to live as you ask me to. Maybe there's even some of us here this morning that I've got no idea how to do that. I've got no well of strength. To be on that journey. Now, Jesus was at the, the temple again earlier in his ministry and he said, You know, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. If anyone needs a drink, come. And, and as you do that, out of you will flow rivers of living water. It's, this is not just something that we do because it's the right thing to do. We do it because God himself, in wants to be invited in to live his life through us. And, and so we do none of this in our own strength. And if that's not something you've ever experienced, you can experience that. It can be your experience, even this morning. So let me ask you, what does God want of you in this moment?
notice the community in all the various different <coughs> puts that you're raising. Well, help us to be people who reject the rule keeping for the sake of rule keeping, but do justice and mercy. Help us to be people who bring our private and public lives together so that when people see us,